Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see each of you here. So glad that you made the choice to come out and to worship our great God. And uh, no matter what your motivation or why you're here, whether that was for a free cup of coffee or a cup of tea or some pastries, um, we're glad that you're here and we have been praying for you this week. We've been praying that God would bless our time together, that God would encourage our hearts, and God would mold us and, and help us to see who he is and how much he really loves us. So we're so excited that you're here. Thank you, Praise Team, for each one of you and your hard work that you put into leading us uh, in praise and worship and glory to our great Lord. Uh, this morning, it's my privilege to introduce uh, some very dear people who have uh, really been so faithful to the Lord, um, Bill and Becky Petit. They've been serving with ABWE uh, in Japan, um, and they we have supported them since 1990, and, uh, and that shows they were, yeah, I think, five and six years old at that stage. Um, and so we, we, uh, we are blessed as a church to have them as an extension of our ministry there in Japan. And, uh, and will you help welcome them with me as they stand here in appreciation for their commitment to the Lord? Thank you. We're going to sing, so I'm going to use this, but thank you. Thank you, Pastor Varner. It's always a pleasure to be here. We Last time we were here on furlough was 2013. We brought a singing group from our church in Japan. Do any of you remember that? Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, my name is Bill Petit. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, Rainbow Babies and Children. My parents were saved when I was six. I believe that Jesus Christ had died in my place, buried, risen again, and if I trusted in that, I'd have forgiveness and eternal life when I was eight, and I still believe on to that, and I hold on to that. And you want to? And I'm Becky. I've been with this guy for almost 40 years. 40. That means I'm old. Old. We're <laughs> veterans. Yeah. But uh, I was saved also at eight. I uh, knew all about the gospel. After all, I'm a missionary kid, grew up in church, but it was at eight years of age that I realized that if I did not accept Christ as my Savior, that he died in my place and rose again and made him my Lord and Savior, that I was not going to heaven. And that night I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm so thankful because he is an amazing God. We, uh, Becky was born and raised in Japan. She didn't mention that, but it's true. But uh, we are a team. So basically, whenever I get up here, I do most of the speaking. I'm sorry. But we are a team. I, we're, you, you, it's a team thing. So we're going to sing a song, first in Jap English and American Sign Language, because we work, work, work with deaf people as well. And then the same verse, the same song in Japanese and ja Japanese Sign Language, an old song, It Took a Miracle, and here goes. My father is omnipotent, and that you can't deny. A God of might and miracles, tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in space. It took a miracle to hang the world in place. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. Hitori naru kamiwa, 
So no we was a ho ho zorani egaki kiseki tonasu kiseki no waza o zorano ho shi kiseki no waza kono sekai mo kiseki naru sono sukui Aito megumi watsukizu. Thanks, Beck. I'm embarrassed. Uh, we have a 13-minute video and basically gives the history of our last six years in Japan, our last term, and here goes. Acts 16 tells of the founding of the Church of Philippi. It is filled with amazing stories of God's providence, leading, and provision. Paul eventually left the church and headed to Thessalonica, but he never forgot the church in Philippi. He loved that church, and it was hard to leave. He wrote them later and said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and called them my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. We also left a church we had been with from its earliest days. Dozens were saved and baptized. We had three building programs, men and women trained, a pastor ordained, people called into the ministry, and along the way, amazing stories of God's providence and grace. Our kids grew up there and were called into service themselves. It was hard to leave those who we still love. In the spring of 2014, Becky and I started searching for a place to start a new church. We waited on the Lord in prayer, talked to pastors in the South Kyushu area of Japan, and visited potential cities. The Japanese people are said to be the second largest unreached people group in the world, and the part of Japan we live in has only about 0.1% who would claim to be Christians. There are few churches, and the average attendance of those that there are is about 17. As we drove from city to city, we found there would be no wrong place to start a church. Everywhere was needy. We felt led to start a new church in the city of Izumi in northern Kagoshima Prefecture. Kagoshima Prefecture is located at the southern tip of the last main island of Japan, Kyushu. Its capital city is also named 
Kagoshima. Our last church plant was in the city of Aida, just north of the city of Kagoshima. Our present church plant is in the city of Izumi, about an hour and 15 minutes by car north and west of Aida. We knew one single girl who used to be part of our church in Aida that lived in a city nearby to Izumi, and no one else. While searching for a place to rent in Izumi, we saw an ad for an unusually large house at an unusually low price. It didn't show an address, but we thought that while we were in the area, we'd like to visit the house and see it, just for fun. Driving into the city, we took a turn up a road in an area near the city bullet train station we thought appropriate for a new church, and immediately found that building with a realtor sign out front. We called, and the realtor came immediately and showed us the building. It was the former home of a construction company president who had gone bankrupt. It had large rooms with high ceilings, and this room meant to be a playroom for his grandkids. The building itself had cost well over a million dollars. Nobody seemed to want it. The owner eagerly accepted our offer of about $210,000. Where did we get the money? Money had been raised to buy and build the property and building for our last church plant. As the church repaid that money, it was put into a revolving loan fund that has since benefited other churches as well. We had enough to buy the property outright and immediately started paying that sum back to replenish our loan fund so it could be used to establish other churches. Since then, we have paid back about $100,000 of the amount borrowed. We moved to Izumi in July of 2014. We lived in a couple of rooms in the back corner of the second floor of the church building. We started preparing the building in the grounds, made contacts, tore down a big gate in an old outbuilding, put up a sign, registered as a church so we didn't have to pay taxes. Too many details to list. Another missionary family, the Cars, who had previously spent 15 years in another city, came and joined us. Becky's stepmom passed away, and Becky's dad, Paul Shook, who had been a missionary in Japan from 1955 to 2002, moved back to Japan to live with us at the age of 91. He lives in another room in the building and is now 97 years old. To our great surprise, we soon met a few Christians that had been praying that someone would start a church in Izumi. We also found that the area was full of young families and lots of kids. The kids in the area often come to play at the church. We had expected to have just a small handful attend any services or meetings we held for the first few years, but from the very beginning had a small core group that helped us. We held a dedication service on October 12, 2014, which was also Becky's dad's 92nd birthday, and started work in earnest. <laughs> Through each work of faith and daily life, we seek to develop contacts, deepen personal relationships, 
share the gospel, and see people become followers of Christ as worshipers, servants, evangelists, and those who love the Lord and the church. In addition to personal evangelism, discipleship, and counseling, our ministry life included Sunday worship, followed by a meal, Sunday school, Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, regular children's evangelistic outreaches, regular teen meetings and outreaches, regular singles meetings, English then Bible classes, a gospel choir made up of mainly unsaved people from the area, special concerts, ladies' meetings, seminars, camps, and much, much more. One special area of ministry is ministry to the deaf in Japan. In addition to deaf who attend our church in Izumi, we have traveled to speak at deaf churches, seminars, camps, and a variety of special meetings during our time in Izumi. We also participated in the ordination of a deaf pastor for the Kagoshima Deaf Baptist Church. Along the way, we've had both setbacks and blessings. Our son Billy has been pastoring the Akita Bible Baptist Church in Akita, Japan, very far north of us, since January of 2011. The church had been without a pastor for 17 years. He and his wife, Motoi, were married for 11 years when the Lord blessed them with a son, our first grandchild, Liam Kai Petit, born October 1, 2014. Our daughter, Danielle, had moved back to Japan to devote her life to evangelism and discipleship in Japan while operating her own English conversation school. She was married to a very fine young man from our former church, Takia Kajihara, on November 2, 2014. Takia has been in Bible school classes for the past few years, and both are serving the Lord at Kibo Baptist Church in Ida. On June 16, 2017, they were blessed with a baby girl, our second grandchild, Emma K. Kajihara. In 2016, both Bill's stepfather, Bill Carr, and then his mom, Sarah Petit Carr, went to be with the Lord after battling pancreatic cancer. Bill and Becky went back to the States for about three months in the summer of 2016 to stay with Bill's mom and care for her until she died. The Cars, who had joined us in 2014, left Japan to pursue other ministry opportunities in July of 2017. This was a great loss to the ministry. Julie Paquette, a single missionary from Quebec, Canada, joined us in September of 2016, spent the first couple years studying Japanese, and is now actively involved in every area of church life, especially in outreach to teens and young singles. The Uchizonas, a wonderful Christian couple, moved to Izumi in 2016 as well to help in starting the new church. Mr. Uchizona was born and raised in Izumi and has long had a burden for his hometown. We are very thankful that God sent them to help us as well. And lastly, special thanks to Joel and Misty Defendifer, old friends, who sold their home 
left their jobs and came to Japan to cover for us for furlough and to dedicate their lives to evangelism in Japan. Thank you for your prayers and your support. Our enemy is always angry to see a new church and will continue to oppose us every step of the way. Please pray for us to have boldness and vision for the future as we continue to extend your ministry through church planning, discipleship, and evangelism to the people of Japan. Obviously, that has a lot more meaning to Becky and I than it does to you, because you don't know any of those people personally, and we do. I mean, these are our friends. Uh, I always tell people that most of my best friends in the world are Japanese. It's true. And uh, someday you'll meet them in heaven, where there'll be people from every tongue and nation and group on earth, and it'll be great, won't it? But thank you for being a part. Uh, Japan is known to be difficult, and it is hard to make disciples, but people are saved, people do change, people are following the Lord despite opposition. And if you met them and knew them like we would, and ah, oh man, is, is words, a, is communication a barrier? You'd love them too. Uh, before we get started, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of being here with this church, and thank you for what the part they've had in our life. Use this message from your word this morning to first change me and to change us as well. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to read a short passage from 
Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. You'll wonder why this is a missions passage, and I hope I can make it clear why. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Here goes. Jesus, this comes right after the feeding, what is called the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him into the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up in the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between three and six in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. If you read books, listen to music, hear sermons, Occasionally you will get the impression that Jesus Christ is nothing more than our celestial cheerleader calling out to us, I'm there to help you. You are strong, you are smart, you can do anything you want, and I'm on your side pushing you along. And like many half-truths, it's probably more dangerous than the truth. Because Jesus Christ, of course, does encourage us. He does help us. He does lift us up. But he also rebukes us. He also loves us enough to call us to repentance. And he also uses trials in our lives to change us and to make make us more like him and to make us more desirous and ready for heaven and to make us true disciples. We're going to talk about that today. Jesus in this passage is discipling the disciples. If you read the first part of Luke, it says Luke tells all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and he continued it through disciples, and he continues it through us today. One of his biggest, most important jobs is making disciples. And one of the biggest things Jesus uses to make disciples in the New Testament and today as well are trials. Are trials. Trials. I'm talking to a lot of people who've had a lot of trials in the past few years. I have too. I've had some discouraging, disappointing, despairing days and days of deep depression. Trials. And we're going to look at that this morning. But before we do, we're just going to take a quick look at probably the most famous passage on trials, which is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, famous words. I'm just going to pick up a few things from this passage, which you, if you are a Christian, you've been in the church for many years, you have heard and you know. Here goes. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking lacking nothing. God is using trials to make you mature. And this passage tells us several key things about trials. I'm just going to name 
Six, right off. First, trials are unavoidable. It says, count it all joy when you fall into trials, not if you fall into trials. If you say to me this morning, I've never fallen into trials, well, just wait, they're coming. They come in various signs and shapes when you fall in all kinds of trials. One person's trial is not another person's trial, but God specially chooses trials for me. Trials are most often unexpected. It says fall. Uh, most of the time we fall not on purpose, although when I'm skiing, I usually fall at the bottom so I can stop. That's the only way I can figure out how to stop. I've never learned how to do this thing, just fall. But normally we fall by accident, right? It's not prepared for. We don't plan in advance. It's unexpected. Trials are often unexpected. Your response to trials is your responsibility. It says, count it all joy. Not that trials are joy, but count it all joy. And the sixth one, whenever trials teach us something to make us grow in Christ, or whether they do or not, depends partially on our response. And this is probably the key thing in this whole passage, I think, verse 4, and let steadfastness have a perfect work. In other words, you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility when we ever meet trials. God is using trials to change us, to, and as we persevere in trials, we will become mature, and we have a responsibility. So every time we meet a trial, we have a split in the road. We can do, which often I have, and we do, we can run, we can give up, we can become angry, we can worry, we can fall into self-pity or depression. And if we do these things, we absolutely make moot and useless God's purpose in the trials in our life. If we run away, if we fall into self-pity, if we get angry, if we hide, if we give up. God has a plan on trials for our lives. We're going to look at a few of these. But in almost every case, almost any trial teaches us at least two things. One, compassion. Compassion. And secondly, the power of the Lord. And we're going to look at those things this morning. First thing, learn from trials. Very quick. Simple. The trials we meet are part of the Lord's plan to disciple us in almost every case. There may be exceptions, but in almost every case. If you go back, and I'm going to see if I can get back there quickly. If you go back to Mark chapter, here we go, Mark chapter 6 once again. It's good for me to take a little time so you can get there as well. Mark chapter 6, we're going to go back to verse Here goes, 45. Notice what happened. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. You have to understand what came before this. The disciples had rowed boats, or sailed their boats, probably mainly rowing, down to where they were now, on the middle western corner of the Sea of Galilee. Then they spent an all-day teaching thing. Then they fed 5,000 people plus if any of you have had fed 30, 40, 50 people, you understand that feeding more than 5,000 people is a big job. And then they gathered up 12 baskets. It was night. You know what they wanted to do? Rest. 
And Jesus said, get in the boat and go to Bethsaida, which is across the Sea of Galilee up on the northeastern side at night. And I'm not coming with you, by the way. And if you were the disciples at this time, you would say, I don't feel like going to Bethsaida night. Couldn't we just wait till tomorrow morning? In daylight, you're sending out at night to go to Bethsaida by ourselves. Why would we do that? And, and that's why the, 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 uh, the phraseology is here so interesting because it just doesn't say they decided to go across. It says he made his disciples get in the boat. Did Jesus know they were going to meet trials? Of course he did. But he had a purpose in these trials and he chose these trials for them. Your, child, your trial and my child were chosen by God personally for me. Isn't that great? Secondly, only as we persevere in the midst of trial will we learn what the Lord wants to teach us. Here they are out on the lake. Can you see them? It's late at night. They've been rowing for hours. It's somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. They're rowing away and the wind is coming against them. They're not making any progress. If any of you have been to Israel, you realize the Sea of Galilee is not that large. People swim across it. It's not that huge. They had spent hours trying to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Do you know what they should have, could have said? What I would have said, probably? Okay, Jesus said to go to Bethsaida, but he didn't realize the weather was going to be like this. We're not making any progress. Let's just turn around and go back. Wouldn't that have been simple? They could have just given up, headed back to shore, met Jesus, said, hey, we tried. We didn't make it. If in the midst of trials I give up, I quit, fall into despair and disappointment, self-pity and anger, I will totally miss what God is trying to teach us through those trials, what the Lord is trying to teach me through those trials. And I'll learn nothing. Today, the disciples are going to see things that are incredible, that they'll never forget. If they had turned around and gone back, they would have missed it all. You are in the midst of trials today, possibly. Don't turn back. Don't give up. Don't get angry. Don't quit. You'll miss what the Lord has for you. Thirdly, when we are in the midst of trials, Jesus knows and cares. You know what Jesus did while they were in the trials? He didn't take a nap. He went up in the mountain at night to pray. We find in the Bible Jesus praying at night in the mountain at least twice. And you know what they're for? The disciples. They were incredibly important for him. They needed to learn something today that they could learn no other way, and he was praying for them. And not only that, it says he's up on the mountain. He saw them straining at the oars. He's up in a mountain somewhere on the land. It's dark and stormy. This is a scene of omniscience. He knew they were out there straining. And he went walking out to them. And he wanted to teach them two things. Two amazing things. The first is compassion. The first is compassion. Something we need to learn as well. Look at verse 48 and the last half. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Did you see what that said? Here's what we want the story to say. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus comes walking up and said, good job, hang in there. Give me an oar. 
I'm going to get in the boat and I'm going to help row. You've been doing your best. Way to go. You can make it to the other side. And I'm here to help you. Did Jesus do that? No, he started walking right by them like they weren't even there. What's going on? What's that all about? And to understand why this happened, you have to know two things. One, verse 52 gives a hint. For they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Do you remember what happened during the feeding of the 5,000? We can go up and read it, but I'm just going to matome it, they say in Japanese. I, I've been, we've only been back for a little less than a month. We arrived on October the 2nd. And, you know, I still am having trouble coming up with English words. So you'll forgive me. But you remember, they're out to feed the 5,000. And Jesus said, give them something to eat. And what did the, they're, they're out there, they're hungry. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And do you remember what the disciples said? Anybody remember? Send them away. Send them away. Jesus saw all those people out there hungry and needy, and he had compassion. The disciples saw all those people out there hungry and needy and said, they're a bother. We can't help them anyway. Let, get them away. Send them away. Jesus was desperate to, to, see, to teach the disciple compassion. You know, there's no missions, there's no evangelism without compassion. You know, I walk through Izumi, through the stores, and Becky and I know this, we go in these big stores. In our part of Kagoshima, our, in, in our part of Japan called Kagoshima, there's less than 0.1% who would self-describe themselves as Christians, and there's over 50% who would self-describe themselves as Protestants in America. You might look at me and say, but not all of them are Christians. Well, not all the people are Christians in Japan either, so what you have is just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a small amount of people are Christians. We walk through a store and we say, oh man, there's 300 people in this store. Is anybody here going to heaven? I just look at all these people walking by me and they're lost. Without Christ, they're heading to hell. There's no giving without compassion. There's no praying without compassion. There's real wit no witnessing without compassion. Compassion drives us. The love of Christ constrains us. Not just the love for Christ, but his love, his compassion. They need to learn compassion. And you know, it's, it's awful easy to have compassion on yourself. When you're sick... When you got problems, you want somebody to come along your side and help you. And they need to learn that. They're in this boat. They're stuck out in the middle of the lake. They're tired. They're worn. They wanted somebody to help them. And Jesus says, you know what it feels like to be ignored? I'm just going to go walking right by you. Did you feel that? Bye-bye. You need to learn something today. You need to learn compassion. The second thing that Jesus wanted to teach them is his own power, the power of the Lord. Remember what happened? He comes walking on the water, gets in the boat, says, boom, that's the end of it. All the waves, all the wind, it all just ceased in a moment. The Lord Jesus Christ has the absolute power to change lives and change the world. 
You know, he's the hope of the world. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ today, he died in your place, as was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament, for the purpose that was predicted in the Old Testament, for our sins. He was buried. He raised the third day. And if you'll trust in him today and follow him today and hold on to that, you can have eternal life and have all your sins forgiven. Isn't that great? If you haven't done that, do that today. And then you have the Lord's power with you. He's the only hope of the world. Man, one of the things Becky and I hate, we're back and coming, next year we're going to be here through about September. We're going to be here in election year. Man, do I hate election years. I just, just let me go to Japan for the election year. We don't want, they're like, oh man, there's got to be an election year? Give me a break. You know, the hope of the world is not Obama, Hillary, or Trump. It isn't. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords to me throughout eternity. The great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more because he's the topic. He's the only hope of the world. Power, the power of God. And then Jesus said three incredible things that we need. Every missionary needs these. Everybody who's a Christian needs these three things. Verse 50. It's sort of funny. Jesus was there and they saw a ghost. They go, oh, it's a ghost. You know, in the midst of your trials, Jesus is there. Just look for him. And then Jesus said three amazing things. And my poor little Kindle turned off. Bad Kindle. Here it goes. He says, first, take heart. Take heart. In other words, be courageous. Don't give up. Don't quit. In the midst of trials, we need those words. Don't quit. Second thing, it is I. These are the words, ego, ame. But God said to Moses in the Old Testament, I am. I am the creator of heaven and earth, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing. It's me. And then don't be afraid. Very clearly in the original text, you are afraid. Stop being afraid. You know, in the midst of your trials, Jesus is saying these same three things to you. Don't quit. It's me. I am. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let's wrap it all up together. The Lord will use trials in your life that you're going to learn more of him. If you quit, if you run away, if you give up, if you get angry, if you feel self-pity, you'll learn nothing from those trials. But he's got to want to teach you at least two things. One is compassion. Don't look at the people around you as bothers, but as needy, needy people who need Jesus Christ and his power. He can change lives, not me. My only hope as a missionary in Japan is not that my clever words and my my perfect diction and my ideal Japanese are going to make anybody trust in Jesus Christ, but the Father draws them, and the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Jesus builds his church and one day just reaches out and says, you're mine, and draws him in. My job is to preach the gospel. Remember in the end that the Lord's plan for your life is the best, the Lord is with you in the midst of your trials, cares deeply for you. And if I'm 
faithful in following him in my trials, he will make me more like himself and show me his glory. If we turn back, we'll miss it all, if we miss it all. It's interesting, we're back in Japan, in the States. We have very few, this is not, every place in the world can use more churches, more good churches. There's a lot of kooks out there, but more good churches, there's no doubt whatsoever. But one of the things was we drive around, we see a lot of churches here in the States. If you come to our, we had a pastor visit us. By the way, you could come visit us someday, wouldn't that fun? Anyway, come visit us, and we drove all over the prefecture, big streets, little streets, and at the end, it was Pastor Norman from Cary, North Carolina. I said, have you ever seen a church? And he says, no, I've never seen a church. All this driving. I said, I'd have to search for you to find you a church because you won't just see one. I'll have to show you where one is. But here, we see them pretty often, and they often have signs out front. One near where we're living now says, on the front, come as you are. And I thought, well, that's true. Zacchaeus, you rotten scoundrel, come as you are. But the message of the gospel has never been come as you are and stay as you are. It's come as you are and change, change, change. And one of the big tools the Lord has in his toolbox, it's right on the top shelf, to teach us compassion, his power is trials, right? I've met some fair amount of trials this last term. Difficult things for me. And uh, I'm thankful the Lord is faithful. I failed so many times. But you know, if I don't learn the lesson the first time, he just comes back, does it again, does it again. Today he has a trial, he has something to teach you. Don't give up, don't quit, don't turn your back, don't leave. Just, just, just learn it. Learn it. And be thankful and rejoice that the Lord is working your life. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you very much for your word. Lord, teach us compassion and your power that we might be bold in witness. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.